Amazon, no one is competing with Amazon Prime. I mean, it's just as, as simple as that. Oh, see, I, I think affiliates was a, an interesting model for a different time. Yeah, it's, it's what I call a little bit of joyalty. It's a bit of joy and loyalty in that box. It's yeah. that moment of surprise. When you open the box, as you say, Ian, and there's a little gift, a little note, some confetti. It's like your heart rate lifts and it's actually a joy. It's a Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll be looking at how COVID-19 has driven an accelerated change around the world and who the likely winners and losers will be. To cover this fascinating subject, I'm joined by Joanna Ward in Canada. Hi, Joanne. Hi. I'm Craig Grimshaw in New Zealand. Hi, Craig. Hi, everyone. And uh, Phil Gunter in Australia. Hi, Phil. Good morning. And as Adam Posner in Australia. Hi, Adam. Yeah, good morning. And uh, David Canty in Atlanta. Hi, David. Good afternoon. And uh, David Fellman in the U.S. as well. David, where are you in the U.S.? Where are you? Uh, I'm in L.A., Ian. Oh, of course you are. Why would you not be in L.A., David? <laughs> so to get things started tonight, we're going to start looking at the good. So has anyone seen any examples of any industries who's done well out of COVID-19? Or And what would your advice be to them from a loyalty perspective? Um, who'd like to kick that off? Um, Phil, would you like to kick that off? Sure. Well, the obvious one, I guess, is, is um, online retail. So clearly with everyone at home, the uh, online retailers have gone gangbusters um, and we've seen lots of good stuff from there. But um, I've been interested to see how the, how the traditional retailers have responded and some have done really good, I, I think, but there's been an awful lot that we've just um, stopped thinking and started shouting and they're sending e I get emails daily from some, some um, retailers, which are just obviously... I've stopped listening, switched them off. Um, but the online retailers, they're going gangbusters. And obviously, the, they're using the, the opportunity not just to uh, acquire customers, but to acquire data and to start doing some smart marketing. Yeah, and I guess in, the, in, the, in that grocery bit as well, the grocers are going gangbusters here as well, you know? Hey, sorry, you know, it's interesting because you got the, just carrying on, sort of the segue between the two is the online uh, food delivery people like the Hello Freshers, uh, My Food Bag in New Zealand, Australia, World on a Plate, they're gone whoosh, which is the, all the online, there's online food delivery um, where I can make everything up and at home and cook my own meal, but they bring provide all the ingredients to it. So they've gone gangbusters. But it's interesting seeing the response from the supermarkets over here has been that they'll actually create the, the packs, but you've got to go to the supermarket to pick them up. So there is, rather than having the individual ingredients that you go down the aisle and pick them up, they'll go, right, we'll put it in a bag and here's your meal and here's your recipe. But you've just got to go to the supermarket to pick it up. So it's quite an interesting, um, they've seen the growth in that online food delivery piece, but then they've um, countered it with creating their own little products within that suite. But you're right, the supermarkets have gone gangbusters. And yeah, I mean, the other thing, here in the so United you go, States, Sorry, I was going to say here in the United States, you're obviously seeing the, the Walmart move with Walmart Plus. That's basically going up right up against uh, Amazon Prime. Now, it does have a minimum purchase um, required, which is slightly different to, to Amazon. But it's very, very strong on the grocery side. And I think, uh, I think the timing is, is um, opportunistic, but at the same time, well, well needed. Oh, I was just going to add to that too. I mean, I, yeah, I think definitely when you look at the stats, you know, online shopping, I was just looking at a report, it was for the US, but they're saying, 
In August, it was up year over year, 42%. And, you know, buy online and pick up in store has gone up 259%. So certainly, you know, it shows how um, retailers and especially, you know, the hardware stores, the grocery stores are really trying to adapt to people who don't really want to have to go into a store uh, if they can avoid it. So um, I think all the retailers that, even the ones that aren't typically, you know, sort of coming to mind when you think of online, but certainly some of the more traditional grocery stores too are doing a good job in terms of really, you know, making sure they have a good website, making it an easy experience to buy groceries online. And here in Canada, quite a few are, are putting out some pretty big incentives in terms of loyalty points to get you to try it or to get you to keep using the online because it is, you know, an area of their business that they're trying to grow. And obviously now, um, you know, there's a lot more interest in it than maybe there was, a, you know, pre-COVID. Yeah, I'm finding the same, um, especially in niche niches like arts and craft, uh, online retail and arts and craft is gang- going gangbusters. W- wine delivery, you know, pure play wine is just, um, I've got a couple of clients in the wine category going mad. Um, you know, also sportswear, electronics, some of these niche online retailers have just really exploded. Um, and, and and they're now also waking up to start loyalty products. Yeah, yeah we're, we're also seeing that in the, in the UK too. So the um, what we're finding is the discount retailers. So Little have just launched the Little Plus card, which is the first time we've seen discount. Because obviously with COVID, there's been tough times for customers as well. And they're sometimes trading down and Little have launched the lo- loyalty program here. And that's the first time we've seen a discount to get into the loyalty market, which is really interesting. I mean, it's not an always-on kind of a collection proposition that, that, say, Tesco and Sainsbury's have, but it's more about the it's more about the product specific products you're buying and about specific product discounts. But still, this is a really big move, I think. Yeah. Um, Dave, can you tell us a bit more about, um, about Walmart Plus and about the... It's free delivery, isn't it? That's one of the key key issues. Do you think that's what... I mean, obviously, they're trying to take on, take on um, Amazon... But do you think that's a key benefit? And do you think it's going to suffer from other other the free delivery people where they're going to drive down the the average cost of sales or the average average basket spend? So that do you think it's going to be constant small deliveries, or do you think they're going for big deliveries? No, because um, Amazon, or sorry, um, Walmart Plus have instigated a thirty five dollar minimum um, oh, okay. for delivery. Um, which is different to Amazon, but I think the fact that they have—I think I, I think I saw a, a stat yesterday that there's a Walmart within 30 miles of every kind of major city in or neighborhood in in the United States, and that's that's probably being generous. In in uh, they had the distribution, so the fact that they're very very heavy on the grocery side is is i think where they're going to win against amazon in some of the the um interviews that i've seen of consumers when they were asked about the the 35 dollar minimum it didn't seem to be a hurdle because their viewpoint was well all i'm going to do is make sure that when i'm going to do my grocery shopping i'm uh, you know i've kind of waited to, to stock that up so I was going to spend it anyway but I do think it's going to be interesting to see the long-term effect on the the bricks and mortar grocery shopping and whether people will actually just start availing of this home delivery or to to Joanna or to Joanna's point um, on you know order online and pick up in store 
because the the additional element that Walmart um, have introduced as well is an app that allows you to basically do your shopping through your phone, check out online, the whole shebang. And, um, you know, it's it's a it's a really interesting move. I think that Dave's right. I think grocery is the interesting angle here with uh, with Walmart. And I know the, the, the soundbite is, oh, it's a competitor to Amazon Prime. I'm not sure that it is. I think in the US market, there's a few dynamics that are that are worthy of call-outs. Uh, number one, Amazon is Amazon, and Amazon, no one is competing with Amazon Prime. I mean, it's just as, as simple as that. Um, you know, the Prime offering includes, you know, and it includes the video, uh, you know, the, the, the video aspect, you know, in terms of being a competitor to Netflix. You know Amazon Prime Video. I mean that is that is a big portion of it, and we shouldn't underestimate the the um, the value that that provides to Prime subscribers, especially in twenty twenty. Um, but uh, when we think about um, when we think about where Walmart fits in before you know before this week, um, Walmart really is actually a competitor to yes, somewhat to Amazon, but no different to say Target is. But then you have other retailers as well. Everyone from, you know, Sephora, for example, or, you know, retailers like, uh, I don't know, Bath and Body Works, um, where physical stores closed and, you know, online free delivery or low hurdle free delivery actually became table stakes uh, for many retailers here in the, in the US market. So in terms of your average good, non-grocery that you might be thinking about purchasing from walmart you can be, you know you might buy from walmart you might buy from target.com you might buy from amazon um to some degree amazon actually have opened themselves up to competition in 2020 because their distribution has suffered um the delivery reliability has suffered none of this is all necessarily amazon's fault it's just the retail customer experience now Plus, Amazon decided to supposedly prioritize key staples early in the crisis, um, which basically meant what they were doing was de-emphasizing a lot of other goods that were stocked in Amazon warehouses. Now, people still couldn't get masks or gloves or hand sanitizer at the peak of the, the, the crisis, so people were confused about, well, what exactly is Amazon prioritizing? Because all their experience seemed to be was all these other goods that they wanted were now delayed by weeks instead of two-day free delivery. So to some degree, it gave people like Walmart an opportunity to actually ramp up their distribution to a level it had never been at before and to fine-tune it, improve on it. And they got to a point now that they actually think they can leverage their distribution where I would say it competes with like a target.com to now be, well, we can add grocery in, which is something that the national grocery retailers have struggled with uh, in terms of actually having the distribution capability to provide reliable, quick um, uh, home delivery. Even curbside pickup is it, it could be touch and go uh, with a lot of grocery retailers. So I think Dave's point of calling out that the grocery is the differentiator, I, I really don't think that that can be overstated. I was just going to say another interesting thing, which you just touched on briefly, is just the fact that there were so many out of stock challenges early on with people everybody trying to buy stuff grab stuff and hoarding things also meant people were really shopping around and trying out different retailers or finding where other places to get the stuff that they needed instead of their you know usual the usual stores that they would go to or the ones that they had a loyalty program so in that from that perspective too you know a lot of people have now tried shopping at a bunch of new places and and there's opportunity for those retailers to to keep those new customers if they can, 
you know, do it right and, and try to retain them. But at the same time, too, the, the sort of the ones where that were, you know, the ones where these people normally shopped, now they, they've lost them to some degree because they, they had problems with their, you know, stock and so on. So, you know, there is, I think the retention part after all this for, for all the retailers is going to be really important. I think it's it's um, it's just been surprising that it's taken so long for somebody to actually get into this space. And I think the fact that COVID has happened, it's kind of almost allowed the perfect uh, scenario. Well, let's get on to the bad then. What do we think that there's um, there's things that are happening where which ones think are being hardest hit, and what do you think they should do about it? God, the the, the obvious ones are travel and hospo are being dramatically hit. They're just, they're suffering. And it depends on the country as the stage of lockdown and the stage of uh, engagement. But the travel sector is, um, like international travel is just going to be impacted severely for quite a while. And the, the local localised tourism um, operators, after initially, and this is, uh, I was speaking um, firsthand with New Zealanders, they initially suffered dramatically because no one could travel. And then they've had the surge of business because suddenly people could travel and then but what's happened is it's the peaks of the weekends and the flats of the the weekdays because there's no international travels to offset that uh, demand so they're trying to manage their peaks and troughs a, a lot better and the hospo people have suffered because of not well, because no one was coming and then that when they did come they could only have a certain number of people and the, the friction has been there so it's been a real struggle street for those guys and what do you think about the flights to nowhere have you seen that yeah, I saw yeah, that so recently. Singapore, ANA, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Singapore Airlines, Royal Brunei, yeah. where they're basically doing flight from A to back to A. Um, and, and they did it. Be, yeah. and, and some of them, they have to fly these flights because we've mostly worked, a lot of us have worked for airlines. We know that certain airlines have to fly certain flights. Um, and they're saying that they did some research in Singapore saying that people were quite happy to pay £200 for the economy seat and sorry, $200 for an economy seat and $430 for a business seat to fly from somewhere back to somewhere. It, it's, a, it's an interesting world we live in. <laughs> uh, definitely. I mean, actually, I just, just to maybe sort of talk a little bit about what's happening here in Canada too. When, I mean, we're still, we still have a global travel advisory. Um, basically, you know, the government is advising no travel outside of Canada unless it's for essential purposes. So, so obviously, you know, Air Canada, WestJet, Air Transat are, are really suffering, although, you know, they're still, they're still, I, th- I think, finding people do want to travel. So there has been definitely, I think, a lot of people discovering their own country this year. Um, but a couple of things they've, they've launched recently, both of them actually, that I thought was interesting is, is adding in basically sort of a COVID insurance coverage uh, when you buy a vacation package, so people, let's other than the U.S., it doesn't apply to the U.S., but for people that that do want to fly outside of Canada, um, they're now offering that as part of, you know, like a, let's say if you're going to the Caribbean, you, you can have this COVID insurance coverage included in the price of your package, which I thought was kind of interesting. I think another one you said, um, Phil, it was, builds on what you were saying about the good, you know, the people, the online retailers who are winning. I think in, in the bad, I think that, you know, hardest hit, if you look at um, the online retailers, affiliates has been, has been a strange one because affiliates are, are now being hit by, you know, privacy policies by Google and Apple and Firefox where they're cracking down on cookies. Therefore, they're, they're finding it difficult to track or more difficult to track affiliate links. 
And I think that's that's a, a disruption that's going to be accelerated. I mean, what's your view on that? Oh, see, I, I think affiliates was a, an interesting model for a different time. So mm. it was it was a, a really good model for making people aware of of online retail and um, and some of the smaller upstarts coming on, um, and it did that. And you know, a lot a lot of uh, smaller players got a start through for affiliates. Um, but time moved on, now, and I think the, the the explosion in online retail means that people are much more comfortable now to do it their own way. And the smart, the really smart online retailers have now taken out the or or taking out the affiliates and doing and doing stuff directly with the customer. The whole affiliate model, I think, is really fragile, and I'd be surprised if it if it lasts as it stands through this. I mean, it's interesting that, that the affiliate model was invented. The affiliate model was invented by Amazon, who now no longer do it. Um, and I think that's that's exactly your point. Yeah, it, it, it won't die immediately, but I just think that the whole purpose of it is it's, it's no longer there, and uh, and it needs to either evolve or it be it'll be taken out. I think one of the other industries that is kind of hard hit um, is is sport, um, even though it's kind of coming back now. Uh, from a spectator perspective, it's coming back without fans, for want of a better term. So um, that revenue stream of whether it's stadium audiences or whether it's golf audiences, we just saw the, the US Open here in, in New York. Uh, the whole tournament went on when, it, when nobody was really... Well, I don't know if they had the television audience because... The buzz kind of around the U.S. Open and and it leading up and every, you know living here certainly um, I've I've been to a few and I've been lucky and there's it's always one of those great at the end of summer kind of events to kind of go to with your friends and so forth and I think on a global basis when you're starting to see football cricket golf played without audiences uh, that's a massive loss of revenue uh, streams that isn't going to be offset by tv revenues i don't think um, so when you start thinking about um, certainly if we, if we look at the the football model let's say where teams in the top divisions are, are probably being held up by the fact that they've got pretty good sponsorship monies and so forth um, but those are probably being impacted as well. Um, but then you got those lower division teams that are, are kind of relying on the guy paying $5 or £5 or whatever to kind of come to, to, to those games. Um, that has to be uh, a big challenge. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what actually happens in, in the sporting uh, sphere. Yeah, I mean, even in the fitness world too. If you, you know, gyms, I think certainly have suffered a lot because you know, even now, I don't think people are that keen to get back inside to work out, uh, and you know, they've got to have you know less people, the, all the different precautions. And you've really seen, I think, some of them have sort of tried to adapt by by going online and doing more of their courses, um, you know, fitness classes and so on virtually, and that seems to, you know, be at least one way they can keep some of their revenue stream by by doing that. Uh, and then you see all these other companies, these subscription companies, you know, like the spinning, uh, the spinning um, 
apps where you have to buy the special bike and then you subscribe and you don't actually have to go to a real class. You're racing against people all over the world virtually. And I, I just saw a new one actually this week and it was, I think you have to buy this $1,500 mirror, but then you have like a hologram fitness instructor behind you and telling you how to do all your, uh, your workouts. So, so I mean, it's, it is, a, I think Does it make that's you look another area. thinner as you do it? I, uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, that's the $2,000 <laughs> model of the mirror. That's yeah. <laughs> the, up well, the, the upgrade. upgrade. <laughs> I think, Joanne, I think that just this week, Peloton, um, I think they had their earnings call and they just launched a, a new, you know, $2,600 bike or something like that. So, yeah. you know, I mean, the but the reality is, is I think it's a bit of a reckoning for the fitness industry. Um, you know, gyms having the whole, you know, telco uh, approach to, you know, lock-in contracts, things like that. Um, you know, I, I actually think that the subscription model um, across the world, you know, across industries, um, is is needing to evolve, and I, I think this crisis is to some degree degree doing that. I mean, we talked about Walmart earlier. We, you know, we talk about other subscription models uh, in traditional travel loyalty. We talk about subscription uh, products. Um, you know, I think that the old school subscription model, um, you know, uh, I could call it the telco model, but at least when it comes to gyms and things like that, I. I think it's totally upended. But, you know, there's some other retailers as well. If we think about personal service uh, retailers, you know, um, you know, it, not something that I'm big on, but if you want to go get your nails done, you want a massage, um, you, you know, you even want to go see your physiotherapist. Um, you know, those industries are really, really hard hit uh, right now. Of course, obviously, geogra geographically dependent. Uh, if you're in Victoria, uh, in Australia, you know, you're not seeing your physio right now, most likely. Uh, if you're in Queensland, maybe you are. Um, but those sort of personal service providers as well, I think that those industries, whilst we don't traditionally think about those when it comes to loyalty, um, but, you know, they're incredibly hard hit. Uh, now, are there opportunities there to explore? You know, I think that's an interesting discussion sometimes. Yeah, just another unintended consequence here are mm. shopping centres. And so their footfall has dropped dramatically. And then there's the whole retailer rent uh, conversation that's that's had a massive impact on on retailers but shopping centers themselves I had conversations with a number of centers about they wanted loyalty and how to drive people in and you know they can't do anything like that at, at the moment so there's an unintended consequence on shopping centers which impacts retailers you know which impacts loyalty so there's there's quite a few layers um, outside of the of the retail uh, customer relationship. Yeah, but what's been interesting there in the UK is that is that they've had this eat out to dine out, which has been a government initiative where the gov they basically said um, we'll cover half the cost of your bill up to ten pounds per customer, and that's driven people back into the towns. It's driven it's driven. We've done some analysis on it, and it's it's really driven people in back into retail, back into the back into the city centres, and and seem to be a big success. Now, whether you consider driving people together and therefore raising potentially the infection rate is a different matter but actually as a loyalty case study by driven by government driving change it's been really i think it's been really successful i think it'd be interesting to see the analytics in the long term um one small thing which i think might be um hidden to some degree is the the number in, in normal retail the number of people are actually bringing out a loyalty card now so i've i've, I've touched base with a number of people down here and the, the penetration of spend in store using the card has dropped quite considerably. And the thinking is 
is that people are at the point of sale. They don't want to be hanging around. They don't want to be getting multiple cards out. They want a quick, simple process and they want to get out. So at the same time, as a lot of these retailers are, are, being, are struggling generally, they're, they're having one of their key um, support levers, their loyalty program, also struggling. Um, and so I've, I've, it's, it's interesting how they get over that. So um, I've, I've seen Woolies, they did it before actually, I think they were quite smart, but Woolies enable you to um, do your loyalty card through Apple Pay. So yeah, you do yeah, have to go to Apple Pay, you go to your wallet, go click, 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 you've done your loyalty, you've done your payment, and you're gone. Um, and I reckon that was really, really smart, whereas their competitor, you've got to go to their app, and then you've got to go to, like, it takes about an extra minute. But um, it, it's, it's, it'd be quite interesting to see how that plays out over the next little while, if people are not seeing, that they value the loyalty so little, they don't want to spend an extra 30 seconds at the till. I mean, it's two of the really interesting texts that I've seen come out of the COVID that I think are really, really useful. One is applying card-linked offers to to mean that you don't have swipeless, basically swipeless loyalty at the till. I think that's really mm-hmm. interesting. Although I think that the reducing that hurdle of, of 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 interaction, I think, has its challenges economically. But I think it's a really good move. And the second thing is is on on casual dining, where you have the simple QR code, which then takes you to the menu, which then takes you to the payment without using an app. Again, I think that's really cool, and I think that I think we're going to see that stay with us for a long time because, you know, people do want personal interaction at the bar or personal interaction with at, 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 at retail or, or when you're when you're buying food. But when you want to pay the bill, I just want to pay the bill and leave. I don't necessarily need to need to have that interaction. And I think I think these these things are going to be really really with us to stay. And and that that drive of becoming digitals in that industry has been really really positive. I think Ian, quick service dining. I mean, it's it, it's it's fascinating. I mean, we talked about delivery services earlier, but I mean, over here, for example, I mean, we've had uh, in, in the US. I mean, we have this plethora, and it's the same around the world. We have this plethora of uh, dining brands, you know, launching their mobile apps, and you know, most of them are pretty lackluster. Most customers don't use them. They don't really add anything to the experience. You know, often, in fact, the experience is worse because you can't find those discount offers that are actually just on the menu board right in front of you because it's promotion that week, but. Some of them have been, you know, and some of them have tacked on, I'm going to say, loyalty programs, you know, or, or rewards offers, which, again, have been pretty lackluster. But then there's some brands. We have a, a brand here called El Polo Loco, um, which is, uh, you know, it's a, a chicken. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the an equivalent of an Australian brand, if I think about I'd think about Red Rooster, for example. Um, you know, but, um, you know, they really um, doubled down. Um, on the app offering, but specifically the loyalty aspect of it or the rewards program aspect of it in the sense that, well, you, you couldn't go and eat in anymore. Um, you know, it was curbside takeout, delivery takeout. Um, you know, that was really the, the, the way to, you know, to get customers back in. Obviously, integrated payments. Uh, we're talking about that now. Um, and not just obviously with a QR code, but just you can do everything through the app. Um, you know, other... Uh, yeah, but other these, chains, these ones, David, um, aren't. These ones aren't an app. It's just a QR code to landing page to payment. Oh. There's no app. Oh, no, absolutely. No, I totally agree. I totally agree with you. It's just I, I, I feel it's really fascinating, interesting to see the brands that are, are doubling down on whether it's separate, whether it's integrated, you know, mm. trying to deal with, hey, we don't have the customer interaction. Customers don't want to hang around and pay. They don't want to pull out more cards than they necessarily need to from their wallet either. So how can that be made seamless? And, hey, bonus points if you're able to integrate some kind of loyalty rewards aspect to there as well. But it, it all comes down to trying to 
I'm going to say, normally we talk about removing friction points from the customer experience. I think what we're talking about now is just removing touch points from the customer yeah. experience. Yeah. So does anyone have any, any to finish, does anyone have any things on the ugly? So this is um, things that people we think are getting it wrong and where we think, ooh, I'm not sure about that. I find it interesting that you've got COVID uh, happening, which is almost like a burning platform for companies. And some companies have leveraged it to pivot and move forward. And other companies have been like a possum in the headlights going, what, what's happening? And I find it interesting that people haven't used this as an opportunity to step ahead where you can or pivot or change direction or do the things that you have always wanted to do, but you've now got a capability to do it. Sorry, you've got the opportunity to do it, but they haven't got the capability to do it. That's what I find quite interesting. Sorry, Phil. Cool. No, I was just going to give a quick um, ugly ones. We, we talked briefly about travel being smashed. Um, and I think we all recognize the fact that when, when things start to return to normal, the airlines particularly are going to use their loyalty programs as a key vehicle for getting people back. And the status is going to be absolutely key to that. And it was really sad to see uh, Qatar do a train wreck of a, of a status match campaign. They got everything wrong. They got the timing wrong, went way too early, way too early. Um, then the process was just appalling. And having pushed through the process, I did it because I, I want to see what it's like. Having pushed through the process for myself and my wife, um, hers is still going. It's been six months. Um, all it's done is taught uh, anyone that's gone through the process is that is not the company you want to be dealing with. Uh, so it would completely backfire. If you, when you do these things, when you when you try and using loyalty or using anything to acquire new customers, you've got to make sure that the experience is fine. If the if the first experience is is really bad, then then people don't don't push through. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I've got one or an example like that as well, where um, I don't know whether it's a work of genius or a work of kind of sabotage or 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 a work of uh, you know or the opposite of genius, where it's um. The pret a program in the UK where you, where you pay £20 a month for five free coffees a day, um, that, that, that seems too good to be true. And, and, and we've seen it in, in, in there before. I mean, Joanne, you, you'll know with Tim Hortons where they, mm. where they gave um, every seventh visit, and that visit, every seventh visit they gave you a free coffee or a cake. And, um, and that drove seven and a half million new people, new, new members, but it lost them £150 million in the first 12 months. Right, and, yeah. They had to uh, 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 completely redo the program. And I, this, this Predamonje, I mean, so if, if you work for Predamonje, by all means, give me a call and we'll talk about it. But it's either it seems to me either a, a, a cry of help, cry for help, or a, or a or a um, or a work of genius. And I don't know really what which one it is. Um, and and this is exactly what happened with Tim Hortons. They they researched it, researched it, researched it, and the MD was on. And I'll I'll place the the link. The MD was on the news saying how brilliant that that this new program was was was. And then and then they closed it, and it it was a disaster. We talk a lot yeah. about the art and the science of loyalty, and my guess is that they used the science there. They looked at data which they've got about how people bought shop right now, um, and they've missed the the, the art. So the art is, uh, how will people change based on what the change of proposition? So they, 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 they would have built that on, this is what people do now so we can afford it because they, they only buy one, one a day. And they're not, they're not seeing or not predicting what's going to happen as people change their behavior. I think it's a no-brainer. You're gonna, you mm. will get those people in offices buddying together. And it will, mm. it will, it will almost certainly 
be underwater and they'll have to change it. Yeah, I mean, I do wish them the best. I really, really do. But it feels to me as if it might be a step too far. And we've seen it before with Waitrose, where they did did the um, you know spend five pounds and get a coffee and a newspaper, and 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 they have to row back on it. And 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 you know, customers, it does upset customers when you change something good. And and now in the days of social media, it really they, they go to town, you know. So so um, yeah, we we've all seen it. Before we finish, then, guys, does anyone have anything anything really positive? Anything really they've seen that they think that's cool? I, I, if I was a, if I was in, in the in the industry, I, I'd be doing that. Does anyone have anything they want to finish on? Yeah, I, I've noticed some real stats. I've some clients in online retail, and they had bricks and mortar stores, um, and the the purchase, the average order value online is triple, is triple their their bricks. And this is before COVID. So the people dwell time on online in this sort of certain categories is people are just clicking and adding and there's sort of no friction. I'll add this, I'll add this. And they're finding three times the average order value from an online purchase versus an in-store when they're physically putting stuff in a basket and say, oh, I've bought so much, uh, you know, I won't buy as much as online. It just seems it's so easy. And three times the, the average order value. Yeah, I just to build on that, I think, you know, I'm, I'm impressed with the online retailers that make it a great experience to go online shopping you know where it's easy to to shop and see what there is that give you some personalized you know suggestions on other things you might like and then make you know you get free delivery and and I think the return process is really important too like let's you know you don't always like what you got and you have to send it back so the ones that make that seamless and easy too are the ones that you know you're going to want to go back and shop there again because that can be a bit of a nightmare with some of them that they really haven't focused on that side of the process enough. And if I could add to that, um, I got something delivered the and other just day, on that, just where, one and more in thing. there was a little bag of Haribo, just a little bag of Haribo, just in there in, in the in the thing, and you just think that's just such an easy thing to do, and it's such mm. a nice touch, you know. Yeah, it's, it's what I call a little <laughs> bit of joyalty, it's a bit of joy and loyalty in that box. It's hey. that moment of surprise when you open the box, as you say, Ian, and there's a little gift or note, some confetti. It's like your heart rate lifts and it's actually a joy. Instead of a bland and boring brown box, Excited. you're actually opening yeah, something up. A bit of I find I get it's joyalty when I open a box of wine, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, can I please say thank you to our panellists today? So Adam Posner, Joanne Ward, Phil Gunter, David Feldman, David Canty and Craig Grimshaw. Thank you so much. It couldn't happen without you. If you like the podcast, please like, share and comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag loyalty podcast and we will look forward to seeing you all soon. Thank you again and goodbye.